What's up, Matthew McConaughey does? He's like... That hurts. It does hurt. It doesn't make me... Like, it makes me lose my breath. I don't like... Mc- McConaughey obviously does not have boobies. Obviously. Okay. Well, right. welcome to the Always Never Right podcast, a podcast for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and wondering how the fuck that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina Biggs. And today we are going to talk about jobs, interviews, life experiences around work and all that because it's a lot different in real life than we so pictured much. growing up. Um, so <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and I remember watching my parents' jobs very closely and I'm still totally gobsmacked and unprepared. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, you've heard me mention my year on the road a couple of times, and we had a listener question about that. So we thought we would explore that a little bit during this process. But before we get started, as usual, Jillian, tell us about our alcohol of the day. Well, you know, so for a while we were trying to cut down on our bar bill by going like one base spirit a month. But we have a pretty healthy stock on our bars, so we're trying to sort of reduce our slush fund <laughs> by using stuff we have on hand. Our I lush fund. One, I know, right, slush fund. A lush fund, yeah, I like that. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I saw this one on Instagram one day. I logged in, and Angel's Envy had posted this, and this one's called the Kentucky Envy, because hello, Angel's Envy, delicious. Um, as always, the recipe's up on the on our website, alwaysneverwrite.com. This has got Angel's Envy bourbon, which is finished in port barrels. It's different from the Angel's Envy rye, but it's still incredibly amazing. Um, It's got peach liqueur. We use schnapps because we're just like that. (laughs) And and Walgreens carries the Kuipers, so. (laughs) (laughs) It also has lemon juice, simple syrup, and a couple of dashes of the Angostura bitters, which I thought was really yummy with it. I couldn't get it to foam up, though. I don't know why. Maybe because I put ice in with it when I shook it. I don't know. What do you think? Uh Well, I want to say that when I shook mine, I did not put ice in with it. And I shook it in a typical cocktail shaker and the top tried to blow off. So maybe it it foamed up a little bit. But what surprised me the most, because there's nothing that's not like I put club soda in or anything, but I shook it a little bit and the top of the pot cocktail thing just went right over the sink. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I have a really nice cocktail shaker that I got at William Sonoma that like holds a lot because like I said, when I make cocktails, I make it for like you and me and tea. Well, not technically for you, but like I make a double because it's for you and me. Aww. And then I make one for tea also because I don't want to drink alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I make like a double for me and one for tea. So that's like a tr- triple or a little <laughs> more than a triple so it has a lot it's got a lot of booze in it and like my little tiny cocktail shake I used to use like salad shakers like the made salad dressing because it had like the mixing things had like the ounces on the side of it so those are still good but I bought this really nice cocktail shaker because it's tall <laughs> a Williamson it holds a lot it holds like 24 ounces I'm like shake a shake a shake a shake a shake a shake a <laughs> I did not, I'll have you know, I did not get the big cocktail shark from William Sonoma that hold like 
64 ounces. Motherfucker. That was a fucking mega cocktail. <laughs> it's like, a, like, chunker, 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 cocktail shaker. <laughs> it's like a drunk housewife's night. There's so much cocktail shaker, I couldn't even. So I'm like, eh, I think I'll get this middle size one. It's a good size. I could still get a lot in there. Or the other one could have been a DB size sh- uh, cocktail shaker. DB just drinks beer. <laughs> Touche. He's not creative enough for cocktails. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. What do you think about this? You know, it is very yummy. I mean, duh, Angel's Envy is involved, so of course yeah. it is. But I took one sip. But for one thing, I took one sip and it burned off all my nose hair. And then, yeah. I, took, and then I took another sip and I couldn't, and I was seeing double. I think this is a win. It's a win. It's very strong. It's strong AF. But I will say that I cheated after I made it and had a few sips of it. I put a little bit of ginger beer on the top just because I liked it. Cause peaches and ginger are delicious and mm-hmm. bourbon and ginger are delicious. Are delicious is delicious. Whatever. Are. And so it's the plural. And. Yeah. Ginger and peach. And doesn't make delicious. things plural. And is the definition of plural. Okay, I was one of the few people to get A in modern English grammar in three years at the university where I took it. So trust me, R is the appropriate verb for you. Okay, thanks. Okay, I don't care how drunk I get. I know that shit. (laughs) Okay, you win. (laughs) I put some ginger beer. I like just put like a little drizzle of it on top and like push my ice cube down to store to stir it a little bit. You just like, and it goes. Anyway. (laughs) Just to sort of like weaken it. And I had to do that for T also because he likes it not quite so strong. And admittedly, okay, so I have to stop and say we did have a margarita out by the pool earlier. Uh, You know what? That's okay. Because if you're paying attention to our Twitter, you know that I made myself a French 75 earlier today. Well, and that's why I felt like I had to have a margarita because you were already ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, pre games. I was tailgating in my chase lounger. Anyway, well, uh, Rexy and I had margaritas last night. I made pineapple margaritas. They were so good. <gasps> oh, that sounds beautiful. It was delicious. And so I had some leftovers, and so T and I finished those up today, and that's what we had. And then so before we had our leftover fajitas from last night, which I made with peppers from our very own pepper plant. Oh. It was lovely. I'm about to have fresh tomatoes, by the way. Okay. You know, this is why when I brought, bought Nina's tickets home for her summer break, I applied for and got an American Airlines card because I want to get enough points to come out there whenever the fuck I want and have your salsa and, and pineapple margaritas. I make amazing salsa. I make the best fucking salsa. <sighs> so good. And I have a pepper plant. And I have fresh tomatoes that are going to be ready in three days. So you need to get your ass out here so you can come and have some fresh from the vine tomatoes. I do. Because all I have is two weeks straight of rain, which made our garden take go so out of control because we can't mow it because it's constantly raining. And I'm worried about getting killed by lowland gorillas. We have snakes. We don't have gorillas, though. Do you have rattlesnakes? Mm, nope. Just little oh. tiny snakes. They get in our pool sometimes. We have to scoop them out. We also have lizards, a lot of lizards. 
had to take a dead lizard today that was from the, like, it was dead by our house. <laughs> I had to, like, scoop it up and throw it out in the alley. Oh, man. Oh, sorry, we, lizard. We had a dead bird in our pool. Because appar- apparently its mom went, okay, you got to learn to fly, bitch, and kicked it out. And then went, oh, <laughs> oh And fuck. it was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So poor John the Brit had to fish that out of the pool, and he was heartbroken. <laughs> We had a bunny in our pool one time that oh. went into the skimmer and ah! the guy had to fish it out. Oh. Okay. Complete aside. He didn't do it. You did. He didn't. Uh, the pool guy was supposed to do it, but he didn't do it. So T and Millie did it. That's so sad. Oh my gosh. So brave. They're so brave. Millie is so brave. She is like, I think there's a thing in our, in our pool. Wow. I can, well. get, I can get lizards out. I can get snakes out, but Okay. Bunnies are out of my league. So bunnies helps me actually segue us, believe it or not, into today's topic on work. Let's do that. I don't remember if I ever told you about this, but I actually used to work with my brother-in-law and my sister at a certain state agency. The very first state agency. I mean, I, I was like a, an 11-inch floppy disk monkey. Oh, and, my God. And I did data entry and all kinds of stuff for this one agency that my sister was law clerking for. My brother-in-law was an attorney for. My poor, poor, sweet-hearted brother-in-law was mowing in the back, la- back lawn and went over a rabbit's nest. And he oh, was tra- he was traumatized, the poor guy. And, I, and, and we all felt bad for him. And um, But I wanted to make him feel better about it. And the way my family makes people feel better about things is through humor. <laughs> so I went to a hobby shop and I got a stuffed bunny and a bunch of gauze and a bunch of pipe cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrapped the little bunny's arms and legs in the gauze and I made little pipe cleaner clutches and I sat it crutches not clutches pipe cleaner crutches and I sat it in his desk with one of the law books open in front of it to assault and battery (laughs) and I put a little note that says don't worry I forgive you on his desk well that's nice at least I think he still has that bunny and that was like 25 years ago (laughs) you know it's funny one of my very first jobs was with a state agency and I actually did clerical work it was kind of cool um the state agency that I worked for didn't track bunnies (laughs) but they tracked um So the state agency that I worked for was contracted around the United States to produce this software. And they produced a software that tracked employment statistics. And statistics is kind of hard to say when you're a little bit fucked up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They tracked employment statistics like migrant statistics and like migrant farm workers and um, different kinds of places that people worked and what people did and like age groups and things like that. And so this particular group, they wrote the software that tracked this all around the United States and they sold it to every state. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And I worked with the, I worked with the state agency that actually did the software production. And I was, I was a temp. 
initially, and then I got hired on a little bit, kind of, kind of permanent, but not permanent. There's another way that they hire people on what's called interim. And so I got hired on interim, which means that you get hired on for so many hours and then you have to leave or you can do so many hours over the course of a year and you can just continue working for the whole year. So I worked interim and basically my entire job was to take the information that the developers did and print off the version that they were working on of this particular program and highlight any row that had all zeros okay different colors i had to highlight different colors of zeros and then make copies and highlight all the copies and distribute them to everybody that was my job i highlighted things basically i colored (laughs) then and then job it was a good job and then i got an intern (laughs) they're like this person's gonna work with you and you're gonna need to show her how to do your thing that you do with the zeros and i'm like "Mm, okay this is yellow here's yellow and here's blue so everything that has a zero make it blue and everything that has a not zero make it pink and everything (laughs) that has a seven make it yellow (laughs) like But the thing was, we would have like 13 copies of this to make. So then we'd have to make, first we would go and make 13 copies of every time we print it out. They'd be like, we're going to print it out now. We'd say, okay. So print it out, make 13 copies. Then we go through and highlight it all, blue, pink, yellow. Here you go. Here you go, Bruce. Here you go, Dwight. Here you go, Reggie. (laughs) All for you. Wow. And one of the guys that worked there was single. And they kept trying to fix me up with him, but he was a nice enough guy. However, I found out that he bought his own house and he had never vacuumed in five years in a brand new house. And he had to replace his carpet because the carpet was worn out after five years because he had never vacuumed it. Because, oh my God, that's disgusting. Oh, wow. Okay. That's that, the carpet got worn out from being so dirty. That story went in so many weird directions. I was not expecting. You're welcome. Thank you. You are, you're like me levels of all over the place right now. And I kind of enjoy that. Okay. Oh, I've had so, so many jobs. You don't even know. So question about that though. Sure. Have you ever had a job? Cause it sounds like this might be the case. Well, well let me back up. What year was that? If I may ask. Um, that would have been 1993. Okay. How much different do you think jobs were in 1993 that we could get away with being good at coloring? And in my case, typing the word resolved 4,000 times a day that were considered superstars and you get interns and you know what? I don't think it's that different. Really? I think it's just a different level. I think it's like, if you think about the rangefinder game and like Price is Right, where there's like that slidey thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just like the range has moved up a little bit. It's the exact same, 
but the range has moved up. Oh, okay. Number one, Bob Barker got me through so many sick days. And number I love two, Bob Barker, right? I, uh, spay and neuter your pets. But that was like the best analogy I've ever heard for that. Isn't um, it perfect though? I mean, that's exactly right. Hmm. It's the rangefinder game. It is. And because, you know, my, my very first job, I started the day after my 16th birthday at the local supermarket. And to this day, I hear people go to my mom and go, the, sh- the produce section was never as well stocked as it was when your daughter worked there. I worked at the local supermarket as well. And I was on the demo squad. That's what I called it. So I got to do, I was a bagger most of the time, but on the weekends I got to do demos. Like you want to try some sausage? You want to try this pizza? (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. I was a demo squad legend. I'm not surprised because you were bookstore legend where we worked because you always get put in customer facing positions. What the hurt talk with people? Let her talk to the public. Like they love her abuse. Who the fuck does that? Why would you do that? Why would you let me talk to people? And yet it's, they love it. They're like, oh, hit me some more, pretty lady. I love that. I, I knocked the shit out of the demo stuff. Oh, I'm not surprised. One weekend I sold 10,000 pizzas, 10 fucking thousand pizzas. Motherfucker. Dude. They could sell anything. They would like, okay, well, we've got to sell, what was that fake? bacon there was like fake bacon (laughs) I don't even remember what it was called it was fake bacon and I don't know how I did it but like whatever they would give me I would sell the shit out of it I would run out before my demo was over (laughs) we've got this many things we have to sell give it to Jill we'll just let her do it and And you do I would I would do it and I'd be like hey you want to try this it's really delicious and here's what you can do with it and try this thing one time I got to tr- I got to make tilapia. <laughs> I had never tried tilapia ever. And they're like, we're going to sell tilapia and we've got a lot of extra of it and you got to sell it. And here's this recipe. And they'd like give me this recipe. It was like fucking mayonnaise and <laughs> lemon juice and butter and Parmesan cheese. And they're like, do this. And I so like heat this up in your microwave and mix this shit together and put it on tilapia and serve this to people and I'm like uh okay <laughs> so I gave it to people and I would tell them about it and they'd be like this is amazing let's get this tilapia I sold out of tilapia at like noon on Saturday it was a Friday night Saturday day Sunday day demo I was out by Saturday afternoon and they had extra and they were like we have too much of this tilapia we have to sell it And people just bought it from me. Like, I don't know what what it was, but I want to tell you, Millie is the same. Whenever she decides to do a job, whatever her job is, when she decides to have a job, she's going to be that. Like, people (laughs) will just do what she says. Because Millie is, I don't know, she's like, and I'm not saying that because I'm her mom. There's something about Millie that people just respond to. We'll have an episode (laughs) We should have like a whole episode about Millie and Nina sometime. I think you're right because they're like magic or something. Um, 
But in Millie's case, it'd be 100% because people are utterly charmed for her. I'm going to venture to guess that in your case, and take this in the spirit in which it was given, it was 75% people charmed by you and 25% people scared to tell you no. (laughs) Well, but this was when I was in high school, so I don't think they were scared to tell me no then. I get the feeling, darling, that you've always been a little bit intimidating. I wasn't. Back then, Um, I was so meek. Okay. You're married to someone who knew you in high school? Ask him. I will. Okay. Yeah. Get back to me on that. I want to know. Because, yeah. (laughs) I love you, darling, but you have a presence. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's actually have a guest moment. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Go bring in tea for this. So we're going to have a little guest moment with T. Awesome. Hello, T. Hello. I have a question for you. Okay. Okay. So Jill and I were just having a conversation about in high school when she used to do demos and she sold shit tons of fish to all kinds of people. And I... Oh, Okay. She wasn't just standing on a, she wasn't standing on a street corner going, would you like a fish? That would be a little weird, but (laughs) somehow unsurprising. Right. But I digress. So I told. (laughs) Oh, yes, it is. Um, So I have a hypothesis that 75% of the people were purchasing this fish because she was charming, but 25% of them were probably doing it because they were scared shitless ever. She insists in high school she was not scary. Can you please weigh in? Yeah, I, I can. I can affirm that she wasn't scary in high school. She hadn't found her confidence yet. Really? Really, really. Yeah. Dude, I okay. Know that from, I know that from her hanging out with my sister. Um, yeah, I would believe that, uh, yeah, nobody bought the fish because she was threatening <laughs> in any way. There was no like fist in the face like buy the fish. <laughs> they bought the fish because they wanted to try the fish. Okay. All right. I I am going to have to eat crow now. Um, thank you for that. I no longer like you. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. I still love you. I still love you dearly. <laughs> I, I still love you too and I haven't seen you take that drink yet. Ready? I've almost finished it, dude. Oh. Don't you have more? That was a double. Thank you for clarifying that. I stand corrected. You are welcome. I'm slowly backing away. <laughs> Thank you, T. You're welcome. Here's the thing, though. I wasn't. I didn't find my confidence until I was well into my 20s. Wow. I'm shocked because you come off as someone who's always had it. Oh, no. So you ever... This is something else I was going to ask. Were you ever so good at a job that other people told you to back off so you wouldn't embarrass them? No. Really? Not even, with so. your, not even with your really game tilapia selling skills? <laughs> no, I just rocked at that. I mean, no, because every job I've ever had has been sort of a competitive situation, I think. Hmm. Okay, so I gotta admit the the job, the disc disc monkey job, 
um, as opposed to Tape Monkey, because it was 1990, so we'd advanced slightly, um, uh, involved a lot of data entry, hence the 4,000 times a day typing the word resolved. The other data entry clerks actually ganged up on me one day and told me to quit going so fast because I was making them look bad. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. And I'm well, like, I suppose if you're doing it too fast, it would be problematic for everybody else. If you're like setting the bar too high, it would make it difficult. So let's talk about real jobs now. Real jobs. Like, like career type jobs. So I'll start. I hey, think Steve. my first probably on my career type job after I graduated college um, right as I was graduated, 9-11 happened. Oh, and yeah. I got a job working for the American Red Cross. And um, I worked in their development department. And it was an incredible job. But development happened really high. Development is usually considered donations and stuff like that. So uh-huh. donations picked up hugely right after 9-11. But they were all earmarked for 9-11 survivors, 9-11 causes, that kind of thing. And then they fell off significantly. So they let people go. And right after that, I had to go look for another job. And I started working for a local economic development agency as um, what ended up being the director of events, which was a fantastic job. And I guess Oh my God. I got to do something amazing. It was so fun. It was such a fun job. That's how you got to know Santa. It is how I got to know Santa. Absolutely. (laughs) And I got to do some really fun things. Like people don't realize that somebody has to plan parades. They don't just spontaneously happen. You have to like get the barricades and the porta potties and close the streets and work with the police and work with the streets department and work with the city council and get the streets closed. And there's a lot that goes into that kind of things. And if there's a concert, you have to plan that. And if there's an after hours event for the chamber of commerce or something like that, you have to plan that. All of those things get planned. So I worked for a local economic development agency that was mostly for a downtown agency. Um, We did a lot of downtown stuff. Um, We also did an economic, um, we also did a business improvement district, Mm -hmm. which was a tax benefit district. It was assessed a certain amount of taxes based on square footage for that area. And those taxes went to pay for road improvements and um, landscaping and maintenance and clearing the sidewalks of snow and that kind of thing. So I worked for that agency and that was what I did. It was was a really cool job. It was a way cool job because I remember getting to go to so many cool restaurants and events with you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with her. I'm with her. Everyone knows her and loves her, and I'm totally with her. I got to do things that I probably wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like, we hosted annually the Mayor's State of the City Address, which was a really strange situation because the very first year I worked for them was when we adopted Millie. Aww. And we found out about Millie the week before the mayor's state of the city address. No pressure. 
No pressure. So I was actually living about 50 miles away and had to drive into town to work every day because we were hosting that mayor's state of the city address and had to like come into work every single day. And it actually just happened that the day of the mayor's state of the city address was the day all of our paperwork came through on Millie and we were able to bring her home. So that was such a wonderful experience. I remember that summer so vividly and I want to say I'm very, very honored that I got to be the person as an attorney with the, a stamp and everything who got to notarize the paperwork. I know. It was so cool. I loved it. I was, I was so honored so about that. I that got to be so happy. It made me so happy too. I'm like, I get to help be part to help make this family. I'm all for class. Yeah, that was really neat. It was awesome. So, yeah, that was a pretty big deal. And and uh, you were also one of the first people to hold her. Oh, and that was so sweet. The poor little baby. I remember she was crying and I was like, it's okay. And I'm just walking Don't around. Cry, her. I have a picture of you and um, John the Brit holding Millie and just like giving her just the cutest little thing and and it was so so sweet it was wonderful it was such a wonderful situation so surprising but so wonderful I I remember that happened so fast (laughs) that was fast Uh, she was so you're meant to be baby Mm -hmm. so because how perfect has she been for your life she's wonderful and how perfect have you been for her I don't know about that part but She's oh, you have amazing for us. You have been. You are her meant to be mom. I hope so. And I think T is her meant to be papa. He's kind of the best, right? Mm. Even if he does um, burst all my expectations about your younger life, he's still kind of rocking. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> it's okay. I'll somehow adjust. It's just, you know how I have to tell you about me in high school because I was an underachiever. Wow. You see, I here's the thing. I was an underachiever and an overachiever at the same time. If you can even imagine how that worked, that's how I was. And I had zero confidence in myself. Plus, I went to band camp <laughs> three times. That, I got to admit, surprises the living shit out of me. But there you go. It was actually called Fine Arts Camp. Thank you very much. (laughs) I went to like a girls club camp. Went to Fine Arts Camp. I went one year for orchestra. I went one year for, actually, I went two years for orchestra, two different instruments. And I went one year for musical theater. Yeah. Because, go you. (laughs) oh my gosh okay i've taken us way off track but we're so far off track you're gonna have so much editing to do this time that's okay but you did some cool eco devo work i like to call it eco devo because i'm in the know yeah that's super good i don't know eco devo baby economic development yeah and what's cool is when actually you work for the red cross 
some of the, I can't go in, I don't want to go into specifics about the job I had at the time, but Jillian used to actually occasionally come to hearings that I was involved in because yeah. of the public impact. So that was very cool. Yeah, I did. We, we kind of did a little bit of, that was probably the only time in our life, other than the time when we worked at the bookstore, that was the only <laughs> time in our life that our kind of work paths crossed. I know. And okay, speaking of the bookstore. So, because I have to talk about this, because this is something that has gutted me upon occasion. Let's talk about getting laid off and fired, shall we? Because I'm sure everyone in our age group has been through that at this point. Did you ever get officially laid off from the bookstore? No, they just quit scheduling me hours. Yeah, I kept getting scheduled and then it just sort of dwindled. Mm. Yeah, it was it, the weirdest, stupidest thing. It was weird. I guess in retrospect, it was like cowardice. It was. I guess in retrospect, it because we started working there when it was first opening in the city, and they need more people to stock the shelves, which is my happy place. That oh, so I get, fun! I get to organize and alphabetize. I'm fucking in. So, so uh, to do. And they put you greeting people, which I believe we've discussed before. What a bad idea. It was awesome. No, that was such a bad idea. (laughs) Are you kidding? People loved you. Oh, yeah. You know, tell me more about how I... Bad choices. They're making (laughs) bad choices. Their worst choices put me on a register because I was still so painfully shy at that point. I couldn't talk to people and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. So, (laughs) I liked working registers. I would much rather work registers than being a greeter. I just wanted to alphabetize books. That was my happy place. So anyway, but no, it's, um, so I think in my life, I have been fired or not scheduled or laid off, I think three times. And all three of them were humiliating as shit. I don't think the not scheduling thing was humiliating. I think it was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? All right, whatever, man. I'll just go get another job. You had your confidence by then. It took me another few years to get there. Mm, no, I still didn't. I, you could have fucking fooled me. I think at that point I was sort of starting to get it, but I still didn't totally understand my power. I, like, didn't have my power. Mm. Well... From the outside, it totally looked like she had your power. Well, compared to you. (laughs) 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 Touche. I remember at one point, I'm like, so what did you think of me when you first met? And you were like, I thought you were a snob because you wouldn't talk to anybody. No, I was painfully shy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you didn't talk to anybody. I did, like, you did, you were sort of a lurker. (laughs) (laughs) You sort of, like, lurked around, like, that's gonna lurk, lurk. If I stare at them long enough, they'll talk to me. It'll be great. (laughs) That was a good, it was a good job for people just getting out of school, though. You know? Yeah, it really was. I technically, I opened two stores. Really? What's your second one? I also worked at a pet store. Oh, cool. There was oh. a pet store that was opening not too long. I don't remember if it was before or after. 
but I worked there for a while. And then I think it was after. Yeah, I think it was after. And I worked at the pet store over on 21st Street. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I worked there. So I worked there for a while. I helped set that up, too. That's cool. I had a lot of opportunities to be, like, in at the ground floor of shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Go me. (laughs) I know. Go you. (laughs) I've only had that a couple of times, but it was fun. So. All right. Let's talk about grown-up jobs now. Yeah, grown-up jobs are hard. After school, your first real job after the state. So you worked at the state for a while. We all knew that. We Mm. kind of mentioned that a little bit. Let's talk about your first job after that, when you went corporate for the first time. Okay. First time I went corporate, I'm going to call it for the sake of argument. And this was not it because I have no idea about the airline industry, but we'll call it Allegiant. Um. I think that's good. So it was the first time I went corporate. I, I used I used to look at the type of business this place did in a completely different way. And I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be so different. And I got in and it really wasn't all that different. And I was kind of surprised. Were you terrified of going corporate versus public? You know, I actually, I, I actually wasn't. Um, I kind of knew that that was part of what I wanted to do um, because of the industry I knew in my heart I wanted to get into. Um, I was terrified. Well, I got, I guess, let me put it this way. I used to be terrified at the idea of going into a hearing because that whole used to be painfully shy thing. Obviously I've gotten over that a bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Oh, you're very sweet. But I didn't know I was awesome until I was in my 30s. This is very new for me. Did I? I didn't know I was. I didn't know I was awesome until I was in my late 20s. Wow. Isn't it weird to think that only like a third or to half of your life, in my case a third, in your case maybe a half, that that's all you've realized you've been awesome. That's weird. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That's very weird. Okay, I'm gonna avoid that existential crisis, and um, but uh, but having the one job and I, and I had another mild job in the middle, um, where for a very brief period, I went into private practice. Yeah. And, and no, that actually that doesn't count. That doesn't count. It, I did it for just a few months and I didn't really enjoy it because I learned very quickly that dealing with large faceless corporations are, is far easier than dealing with the human condition. Um, I, I don't think this gives away too much, but for a very brief period, I did guardian ad litem work where I had to represent oh, children. That was so hard. I came home every night, bawling my eyes out, went to adopt every kid I represented. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I know now what my limits are. This is my limit. Cannot do. Um, so shortly after that, I ended up going corporate and I'm like, ah, big giant faceless corporation. I will change the world vicariously. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can't do it directly because I can't emotionally handle it. Um, but the fact that I did that, I mean, I had to go, sometimes I'd have like two hours notice that I had to go to a hearing and represent a child whose life was in the balance. Yeah, that would they, suck. There is no better training for getting scared to rep scared to be in court out of your system than having a child's life hang on the line. And that's when I learned um, 
very much because I wasn't about to fuck this up. That was very much what I learned to think on my feet in a courtroom. I mean, I could kind of do it before, but it would take like days worth of preparation and pre-scripting for anything that might come up. Um, but this was very much on my feet. Okay, I'm going to ask these questions. I need to get these facts on the record. I need to know this. I need to make sure this is protected. And boom, we got it. It was huge training ground. So getting into corporate after that, I was no longer afraid of hearings. I think but how that's- much of that is because of who you are and how you think? Oh, I'm sure it ton of it because no matter what I do, I'm a giant ball of anxiety who thinks of every possible scenario that could go wrong at any given time. And I try to plan for it. Right. So while I don't let, I'm not saying that you weren't representing the children correctly in any way. So much of what you're saying, I think is anxiety you had related to that because of who you are and how you think very likely actual issues related to the guardian ad litem that's very very possible i gotta admit there's one kid in particular that to this day i'm like i really hope she's okay she's the one i worry about the most and the one i think about the most i haven't um, just because I don't want to invade privacy, but she was such a brilliantly smart child that in my heart, I know she's done well. And she, it doesn't go too far in saying she got placed with the grandparents who were just salt of the earth people in my, she's in fine. my, in my heart. I know she's okay, but I'm still like, I hope she's not just okay. I hope she's kicking ass. Of course she's kicking ass. Yeah. After all that, corporate wasn't that scary. So I'm very glad I did do that in the interim because that definitely got a lot of stuff worked out of my system. Good. So. There we go with that. When you started working corporate, how did you feel? Did you feel Uh, like you sold out or did you feel like you had made a right choice? I remember looking at John the Brit going, I'm not even 35 yet and I found my dream job. That's awesome. I was so excited. So, and it was really great. The first few years in particular were just fucking phenomenal. It was like every awesome thing you could think about in a job, it was there. Then the general counsel changed. (laughs) You know, for me, working in a corporate environment, um, when I was growing up, Nobody I knew worked for a corporate. Wow. My parents both had worked, like literally nobody we knew worked in a corporation. We only knew people who worked for education or library or, I don't know. Nonprofits. Yeah, nonprofits. Nobody worked in corporate. So I didn't know anything about it. And I had always sort of envisioned it as being this sort of evil empire. So when I got a job in a corporation, I was sort of like, eh, I don't know about this. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't know how I feel about this. But the corporation I got a job with was such a positive influence like they do such good things and they they do 
they're such positive stewards of the earth and they're stewards of privacy and they set standards for so many things. And I'm pleased with the way they comport themselves Mm. that I felt like, okay, I can get behind this because I support what they how they hold themselves out to be. Well, well, you know, I mean, your corporation takes a lot of things very, very seriously. I mean, you, if you're going to go, excuse me, hiccups. Um, If you're going to go corporate, you absolutely went to the best one. And I actually know someone who used to be one of your VPs. I wish I had somebody who was a VP. (laughs) (laughs) And it's someone who is a very, in a very environmentally friendly position. And I just can't tell you how much good that does my heart. I mean, your company is awesome. They really, they really think about things before they do them. Mm. And they have very, I think they really look at what they believe to be true. You know, I know that our CEO says, this is what I hold to be true. And he stands behind that 100%. Mm. And so the corporation stands behind that. And I'm cool with that. Isn't that there's nothing like leading from the top. Yeah. I mean, if if you aren't leading from the top, no one's going to take it seriously. And that's so cool. And I have to say, too, that considering the vastly different career trajectories we have had, I love that both of our companies are both very, very serious about data privacy and being good environmental stewards. You know, the GDPR thing is such a pain in the ass, and yet it's still so important. Isn't it, though? And that's, um, for people listening who don't know, that's like the whole European set of data privacy laws that have gone into effect recently. Um, And are coming to the U.S. before you know it. So I don't know why it's as important to your company as it is to mine. But it's um, something that we deal with on a regular basis. Well, in our case... We know it's coming. Plus, we're publicly traded. Our shareholders could be anywhere in, in the globe. Sure. So so we, we also have to take that very seriously, even if we are technically U.S.-based. So let's talk about, I want to talk a little bit about um, my job at Cook Industries. Okay, you go for it. Cook Industries. After I stopped working for that local eco-devo, um, I started applying for other stuff. Uh, and I got a job at this wonderful place called Cook Industries, which is where I work now. <laughs> and I started as just a regular customer facing helper. Before this, I didn't really know anybody who worked corporate. I My parents never worked corporate jobs. My dad was always a nonprofit dude. My mom Mostly was a stay-at-home mom. And an artsy-fartsy. Weirdo. Extra (laughs) emphasis on fartsy. Yeah. (laughs) So um, when I graduated school and I did all this other stuff and I worked for the EcoDevo, I got laid off from the EcoDevo. 
and started applying for other stuff, got a job with Cook Industries. And it's been an amazing ride. Cook Industries is sort of a larger group and it's a larger corporation. I started out as a customer facing sort of help desk person, uh, moved into a management role, got to do a lot of other little, like I said, an internship thing. I said that in another episode and now I'm a manager. I manage a group of, um, remote advisors. I have 17 advisors, 16 advisors on my team and they're all over the country. I live in Dallas, Texas. My advisors live in California and Tennessee and Texas and New York and Massachusetts and all over the place. So I work with them and help them just do a better job being customer service advisors. And it's been a fantastic opportunity for me to just learn more about how to be in the world. It makes a huge, huge difference when the corporation you work for really cares about the environment it's in. I mean, the, the, the people who make it successful and just care about the world around them. That makes a huge difference. And you are in that, that space. There's a big focus on not only the consumer of our, of our products, but also the folks that work there. And I, as a manager, like, for example, here's a, here's a perfect example. Last year, one of my advisors who lives in Paradise, California, her home burned down in that Mm. Paradise fire, the campfire, and she lost everything. And my corporation put her up in a hotel, her and her family, three kids, one husband and an advisor, put her up in a hotel for two weeks or as long as it took to find her someplace to live permanently. Or at least semi-permanently. They didn't care if she was working. They didn't care if she was coming in. They just cared that she had some place to be. And And they cared that her kids were taken care of. So they gave her food vouchers. They took care of that. And I love that about my company. I love that they will take care of that sort of thing. We had that with a hurricane last year, a couple years ago. Maybe not last year. It was, a, it was a while back. But I love that when we have some sort of human crisis, the company responds to that. The company takes care of the people who work for them. They will take care of it. That is huge. Yeah. That is, that is very huge. Because your employees are the ones that make you successful. Yeah. As a manager, I love that I have the opportunity to help my people. I have another advisor who has a sister who's going through breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And she has had a lot of loss in the last couple of years. Her fiance died of a very sudden heart attack. Oh, my gosh. And 
then her sister had breast cancer and she's had all of these other problems. And my company is like, how can we help you succeed? How can we help you through all of this? What can we do for you? That's so cool. That's yeah, so cool. it's amazing. And I love that we have that opportunity. So if she needs to be gone, I'm like, yeah, man, you can be gone. If you need to be out, do what you got to do. That's so awesome. That's yeah. I'm glad. And I got to say, I work, I've ended up in somewhere like that too. Um, I'm going to refer to my current job as McDreamy because it's, it is that it is right such, it's such a supportive environment. They care about the people who work for them. They care about the world around them. And it is so life affirming. I know, though, that we have to talk for a little bit about your year on the road. Yes, the year on the road. I had a job that we'll call the Empire. Uh, <laughs> it, it was post-Allegiant, which I, I won't get into all the Allegiant stuff right now, but there were reasons why I ended up leaving Allegiant, even though at the beginning it was awesome. Change. Let me just say changes in management can make huge differences. They can, for sure. They can. So I worked, I, I went to Empire, which at first seemed like, holy shit, I've ended up at another dream job. And it was awesome. And then the longer I was there, the more I realized a lot of things were more conducive to a different type of personality than what I have. <laughs> and um, things are going on, though. And I, I had a team that I managed. And I'm still good friends with the vast majority of my team to this day. Um I love them. I care about how they're going. We keep in contact. It's just awesome. But it, it just kind of, it got to the point where I'm doing 80 hour weeks. Too uh, much. Too much. Very high pressure situations, um, which I can deal with high pressure situations, but let's all state the obvious. I'm a giant walking ball of anxiety. True. So. At some point, a high-pressure situation is not going to be – I'm going to have a heart attack. So, <laughs> so, but things were going along, and then I thought things were still going really well. There have been some obvious bumps in the road, but I'm like, you know what? I've got the support of my team. I've got support of all these people. I've made inroads in places this company has never seen before. I'm Okay. And I kept thinking that right up until the very second my boss came in and said, you are terminated. Bye-bye. It's always a surprise. Did it you was, throw up? I didn't throw up and I didn't cry until I actually left the building. But the second I got in my car and was by myself, I mean, it was one of those things where my boss left the room and human resources came up and boxed my things up for me. And thrown up. I was like, okay, there are some personal things on my computer. If you would like, you can watch while I put them on a thumb drive to take home with me. They're like, okay, we'll do that. We want to see everything you put on there. I'm like, okay. So it was humiliating. It That's was crazy. It hurt. And I, what's funny is my job now, McDreamy, my boss, I knew she had been looking for someone. So as I'm sitting there in HR is, boxing up my stuff I text her and I'm like you still got an opening because I just got fired and her response is haha very funny I'm like no 
really? And she goes, okay, I thought you were joking. I assumed you had to be joking because there's no way that could happen. It happened. So, um, <laughs> you text her when you were still in the office. Yeah, because I was panicking because I'm the primary of breadwinner. Of course you're panicking. I may, I literally make about five times my husband's salary. We were going to be fucked. Yeah. That's uh, really fucked. It was really fucked. And I, I, um, I was devastated. I spent, okay, I will admit my, my now boss was actually coming in town for a conference that weekend. Um, as was one of my friends from the company prior to that I worked for. Um, and they got me because I've been involved with this one organization so long, they like talked to a couple people and they're like, she can come to the conference for free. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are the best. And I love you so much. I got to the conference though. I know, but I, it made me get out of bed because other than that, I spent pretty much two weeks in bed watching Dr. Pimple Popper on YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to lay here. I don't need to eat. I just tag Dr. Pimple Popper. I know. I watched her entire back catalog on YouTube. I was like, I'm just going to, this is relaxing. It's the only thing that takes my mind off of, I've been fired. Oh my gosh. And John the Brit, he tried so hard. He goes, let's go for a nature walk. But all I could think of on that nature walk is, I don't know how I'm going to pay for the gas to get to this park. How do I pay for the gas to get to this park? I have no income. Oh, motherfucker. And I would just That's be on the verge. a lot of stress. I would be on the verge of tears. Like, I can't pay for us to be at this free park. <laughs> I don't know how to get groceries. It was terrifying. Um, but no, I, my current boss, who just is fucking brilliant, um, she came through and I got hired by the new corporation of record speed, which to me felt like a snail's pace because it was still a couple of months. It was pretty fucking fast, I gotta say. It was like, what, two weeks? No, it, it was... Um, I it's really it, talking fast. It took almost three months for my start date to get there. Yeah, but, well, you got hired before your start date, and you were hired really fast. Yeah, I I am very. Don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, but I did live on the road for a full year. I my boss let me live at or let me stay at her house for like two weeks, and she said I could do it indefinitely, but. I, I need my own space because I need my place to cocoon when I need. Sure. I found this really cute little cheap apartment in the suburbs. Um, and I maintained two households for a few year for a full year. I would work three, about three days in the office in St. Louis. And then I drive back home to see my family. Cause for one thing, we had barely any equity in that new house we had bought. Yeah, because you just moved there. Because we just moved there. Um, Nina was in her senior year of high school. AJ was still getting adjusted to his new grade school, and he does not take changes in routine well. Change is not good for him. No, so I wanted to try to put off an entire move for as long as possible. So I worked three days in St. Louis. Then I drive back to that other city and work a couple days from home, spend the weekend at home, come back to St. Louis. And I put, I think 80,000 miles or so on my car in a year. And that was, I was so exhausted at some points that John the Brit would go, 
I, I miss you and I want you here, but I think you need to stay in St. Louis this weekend. You're, you've done too much. And yeah. God bless him. There were several weekends I didn't even go home and I would do nothing but sleep. It was the hardest Good. year of my life. And I'm I've been so through some shit. That John the Brit was like, motherfucker, stay in St. Louis. I know. He, he was very, very wonderfully supportive. And I know it. And I know it was hard on him. He is a good guy. And I know it was hard on him having both the kids. um, Because Nina was, I I won't get into why, but she was having some severe anxiety issues. AJ was having a lot of adjustment issues. Um, But he did it. He did that and supported me through that whole thing. And then the minute we could, I got them all down here. And um I have to say one cool side effect of though, is that I'm now the favorite parent. (laughs) How's that possible? (laughs) AJ used to be such a fucking daddy's boy. Cause John the Brit stayed home with him the first year. Yeah, of course. I remember that. Yeah. So he was all daddy, daddy, daddy's the best. Daddy's marvelous. I'm going to pick up daddy's accent. La 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 la. I'm British. Woo. Um, But maybe. (laughs) But me, <laughs> but me being gone for a year, he missed me so much that every night he's like, mommy, would you like to snuggle before I go to bed? And I'm all like, yes, I would. I know. I missed you a bunch and you're 11 now. So any day now this is going to stop. So yes, sweetie, let's snuggle. I'm going to enjoy this while I can. Yeah. Cause when he's 13, he's not going to snuggle with you anymore. No, but we, we used no, to have this stop snuggling at 13. No, oh, man, that makes me sad. 13 uh, is the, the age. Yeah. Uh, babe, I, I tell you, was, uh, we used to have to ask AJ all the time, who do you want to sit by when we go out to eat? Who do you want to sit by? And he'd sit there and he'd agonize over it. Now, it, we don't even ask. I just sit by him because it's always me. Well, we never asked. We would just say, like, she always sat by T. It was just it was. I always sit across from them. Aw, that's cute. It's just, it's just the way it is, and that's cool. Aw, and I'm cause... fine with it. Yay! Sitting that... by myself is really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Like, I'm gonna spread out. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, let's talk some more about. All right, so you're you're on the road. You were back and forth. You did a lot. That was exhausting. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm so glad that's over. And my poor car, I'm like, it's, I bought it with 18,000 miles. It's got 120,000 miles on it now. That's a lot. I feel so bad for it. It's not even paid off yet and I need to replace it. The next time you get a real job, you're going to buy a brand new car. I, I have a, a lot of things to overcome to make that happen. So if it ever happens that you move into a new role, depending on what that role is, you are going to get a new car. I still have that issue with the whole the second you drive it off the I lot. Don't care. <laughs> depending on what the role is, you're going to get a brand fucking new car because here's the thing you deserve 
for one time, at least one time in your life, you deserve to have the car you want, the color you want, the style you want, the interior you want, the everything you want, exactly the way you want. And you're going to get it. Uh, someday. I just don't know what that day is going to be because I have this. Be soon. I have a huge internal struggle. A huge internal struggle. Look, bitch. <laughs> well, program, I, program chart cars are so much cheaper and they're just that's true. Program chart cars are very cheap. But I will come for you. <laughs> Depending on the job, you and I have made an agreement previously. Oh, Depending on the job. Shit, you remember. You made an agreement. <laughs> you remember. Of Damn. course I remember. I have a yeah. mind like a steel trap. You do. Whereas I have a mind like a sieve. <laughs> <laughs> Except all the useless uh, information is much bigger and stays in perfectly. Why, yes, I can tell you who all the four Lost Boys were in the 1987 movie. <laughs> if you were going to give some advice, because we don't give advice, because that's mm. not what we do. We if are not professionals. Advice about jobs and how to find your dream job and that sort of thing, what would you do? What would you say? Um... I think just perseverance, like um, just even if you think you're in your dream job and it doesn't work out and you end up in bed for two straight weeks watching Dr. Pimple Popper, don't give up just because that wasn't it doesn't mean it's not still out there um, because I did end up um, working for McDreamy. So um but perseverance, if you know what you want, you keep working at it. And and sometimes it's watch the culture, watch the corporate culture. Um, while not everything on Glassdoor.com and Indeed.com is completely accurate, you can get a lot of clues about what those places say. True. You got to take some of it with a grain of salt. But if you watch that closely... Um, and you ask questions about the corporate culture when you get there, because if you're the type of person who thrives in a high competitive environment, ask about the competitive environment. So you can do that. If you're someone who thrives much more in a, um, you can try new things and if it works awesome and if it doesn't, that's fine. Um, and that's where you thrive. Ask about it. And make sure that you're seeing, because I'm very much, words are not enough. You have to watch the actions. And it's a little hard when you're in an interview situation, but do your best. Um, and okay, you can blame DB for the words are great, but let's see what you're fucking doing thing. But I rambled a shit ton. And there we go. You want to start that again? Corporate culture is key. So if you want a certain corporate culture, ask a lot of pointed questions to try to find out exactly what the corporate culture is. Cause that it's makes great. a huge difference. It does. Um, How about you? 
I think I would say don't be afraid to go for money. Like I was always afraid that if I went away from nonprofit and went for corporate because it was about money, that I would be selling out. And you learned, didn't you? I did. I learned that sometimes corporate can be what it is you're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. You can find the things that you prioritize within a corporate culture if you select the right corporate culture. Perfect. And I want to say, who helped you learn that life lesson? I got it. I got to get credit for something here. <laughs> yeah, you totally did. It was between you and T. And I was so afraid to go in a corporate direction because nobody I knew worked in corporate. Nobody. My dad never did corporate. My mom never did corporate. So corporate was never part of my world. And when I decided to work in corporate, it was very concerning to me that it wouldn't be part of anything that I valued. It wouldn't assign value to the things that I prioritized. And yet I really did find a corporation that assigned value to the things that I prioritized. I, it really is possible. And I, I know not there are some corporations out there that are kind of cutthroat um, empire, but uh, <laughs> empire, empire moving along. <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for being with us each week. We hope you'll join us and drink with us again next week. If you'd like to hear from us, or read about our cocktails, our website's alwaysneverwrite.com. There are links to our Facebook page, which is Always Never Write Podcast. You can join and start a dialogue with us. We'd really love to see that, actually. If there's anything you'd like to hear from us and hear us talk about, we have Instagram at Always Never Write. There's lots of pretty pictures of the drinks we have. Um, and Twitter at always never rate. <laughs> Tweet us, ask us questions, whatever. And I apologize for the absence of ease, but I did what I could with the space allotted. Um, <laughs> of course, we are not professional job seeking advice people. And while we've had lots of jobs, some of which went great, some of which flamed out spectacularly and resulted in weeks worth of Dr. Pimple Popper. We swear we are not flighty. This has been another full-time, professionally employed episode of Always. Never. Right. I'm Jill Farrell. And I'm Gina Biggs. And thank you so much for making us part of your week. We will talk more next week. Probably not about jobs, but Tweet us if you want to hear more and be subjected to more pain and trauma. It's all good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for tuning in. We love you, dolls. Standard disclaimer. Always Never Write is in no way, shape, or form performed or produced by professional advice givers. We've just lived a lot. 
So if any of our life experiences prove useful, we're happy to share, especially if we can share in an entertaining way. But if you have serious problems, please see a therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, life coach, or someone who is actually trained to know what the hell they're doing when passing out advice. Also, please note that most names and the descriptions of many events have been modified to both make things more entertaining and to protect the innocent, the not-so-innocent, and the flat-out guiltiest and assholes.